The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And what a week it was. Just think about the weather. I mean, fall arrived with gusto. We've had a 30-degree drop in daytime temperatures from Wednesday to Sunday. (laughs) Definitely fall out there this morning. And I've lost count of the number of tropical depressions and almost hurricanes lurking in the Atlantic. But I have to tell you, and and it's snowing in the Rockies, and I do mean snowing, and and it's snowing in the Sierras, guys. You can start waxing your skis. Four four inches expected at uh, 5,000 feet. But none of that really matters this morning, because here we are again. The last thing in the world I thought we'd be talking about on this last Sunday in September about... 14 months before the next general election, the last thing I thought we would be talking about is, oh, help me, impeachment. No, no, please, not again. Yes, again. Oh, Vince. It's it's always been about impeachment. I get from, that. From the get-go with these people. I get that. I mean, from like the weekend after the election when there was this mob on Fifth Avenue demanding impeachment and he hadn't even been inaugurated. I get that. But last, but when when Congress recessed in August, I thought, well, he slipped out of the noose. And so did all the big pundits, and so did the uh, 20-odd candidates for the Democratic nomination for president. And here we are once again, except this time I fear the president has put his neck on the guillotine. And while my crystal ball is just a little bit murky these days, I fear that what will happen on Capitol Hill in the next few weeks will be a lot more sound and fury, signifying very little. 
there'll be it will culminate in a witch's brew around Halloween of sullied reputations, charges, and countercharges. It will result in increased voter cynicism and diminish people's interest and engagement in the 2020 election. It's doing anything but draining the swamp. The swamp is, is, is experiencing climate change. It's getting deeper. The last two and a half years have created a whole new class of bottom feeders as though we didn't have enough. And now, and now, they're going to crawl out from the muck of the swamp. And what will the Democrats be left with? Hmm. If passed as prologue, they'll be left with witch's brew on their faces. And a president whose reelection depends on the Democratic nomination process and the state of the economy. All that said, I think Congress has to investigate the whole whistleblower complaint. I think it's very important. I think the seven freshman Democrats who uh, come from districts that were carried by Trump in 2016 were, were courageous. They were patriotic. They thought about country before party when they penned an op-ed in the uh, Washington Post last week, which really did cause the, the Democratic dam to crack. And since that crack, to flood. And while I believe that Congress must investigate this whistleblower complaint in its entirety, and we're going to talk about what I mean by in its entirety, I really like the Senate's method better than the House's. You know that the acting DNI was on the Hill speaking with both the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee on Thursday. The difference was that the House was full of cameras and five-minute sound bites, uh, all intended for the individual congressperson's home district. All that chest beating and all that table thumping is just to rile up the contribution machine in that individual district. It's not a way to run a country, trust me. I watched just a little bit of it. I was glad I didn't get up at 6 in the morning to watch it all. The Senate, on the other hand, not a word. We have no idea what acting... DNI, Joseph McGuire, a vice admiral, retired Navy, the former head of the Navy SEALs, the man who was the confirmed head of the counterterrorism center. We have no idea what he told the Senate. Not a word has leaked. And if I were the president, that would worry me. <laughs> now, I agree with both Ben Sass and Mitt Romney, that the facts that have been presented so far are troubling. To quote Romney, they are deeply disturbing. But I also agree with Lindsey Graham 
that what has been uncovered to date does not rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. I mean, the very definition of what is a high crime and a or a misdemeanor is extremely vague. It's so vague that I'm going to take the liberty of paraphrasing former Supreme Court Justice Potter, who said, speaking about pornography, I don't know how to define it, but I know when I see it. And an impeachable high crime or misdemeanor seems to fall into that same gray area. And maybe that's part of the problem this time. You know, the timeline of this event itself is remarkable. I mean, you know we're two and a half years into this term. We still have not built a mile of wall. We still don't have an improvement on Obamacare. It's still getting more expensive. The average family of four will spend $20,000 on health care this year, including premiums on health care. That's unaffordable. For the majority of Americans, yet we've made no progress. We've made no progress on gun control, on drug pricing, on a myriad of very important issues to you and me. And yet, people tell us those things are moving along in Washington time. Washington time is measured in years. Not in months, not in weeks, not in days. And yet, between September 9th and September 23rd, this impeachment inquiry went from what inquiry to a full-blown national crisis. And if we believe the mainstream media... And I don't know whether to believe them or not, but I do believe my gut. I have a feeling that the worst is yet to come. And maybe what we should do before we talk about what that worst could be, what the whistleblower's letter tells us and doesn't tell us, we ought to stop and take a quick commercial break. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back, and there is no choice but to talk about impeachment. I I have to say this week, I those of you who listen regularly to the program know that that undergraduate, um, and before I went to graduate school, I have a degree in in um, history and economics. And I haven't looked at the Federalist Papers in more years than I will admit to. But this week, I actually did. Because we know that the president, at this, at this writing, all right, at this moment, on this Sunday, September the 29th, we don't know, but I will presume 
that the president did not commit treason. Now, the reason that treason is called out deliberately in the Constitution as a basis for impeachment, as is bribery, is the fear of the founding fathers of the influence that Europe, then so much more powerful, you know, the mighty British Empire, might try to exact um, or persuade or cajole a second or third or however many presidents down the line. Everybody, you know, the, the, the founding fathers formed Article Two around the assumption that George Washington would be the first president of the United States. But their biggest fear was what would come after him. They were men. They knew they were um, capable of um, mistakes and um, that men, and, and I'm speaking in, in the term of humans, um, are, are, are you know, capable of um, acting in their self-interest instead of the common good. Um, and that worried them. They thought you might have a corrupt executive somewhere down the line. Um, I think we've been remarkably free of um, enormous scandal in the 230 years uh, in which the Constitution has governed this country. But there have been a few. You know, the Grant administration comes to mind. Um, the uh, law that that um, is... Um, at issue in terms of whether or not Congress can see Trump's tax returns um, stems from the 1924 Teapot Dome scandal when several members of the cabinet did go to prison and they wanted to take a look at Coolidge's taxes to make sure that he had not, as though he were going to, if he took a bribe, put it on his taxes, um, that his taxes were on the up and up. Okay, And that's why it, that law is written, the president shall give to Congress, you know, um, as is the Whistleblower Act. The Whistleblower Act says that the inspector general, general upon receiving a, compl a whistleblower complaint and finding it credible must and, and, and urgent must within seven days, it's the word is shall, within seven days forward back to Congress. And that's what did not happen. And it didn't happen because the newly minted, never expected the job acting uh, director of national intelligence found the situation so unprecedented that the, that the whistle was being blown on the president that he actually went to the White House and to the Department of Justice uh, Office of Legal Ethics to ask whether or not he should forward this to Congress. Now... Vice Admiral Joseph McGuire, I'm going to give him I'm I'm going to give him a little bit of leeway because he has spent 36 years in service to this country in the certainty that the commander in chief was his boss. That believing, believing and imposing and enforcing especially in the seals chain of command sticking it within the rules. And that's exactly what he did except in this case, he's no longer a SEAL, 
and the person upon whom the whistle is being blown is the commander in chief. As McGuire said to Congress, this situation is unprecedented. But the issue for us to wrestle with, along with the Congress, is the facts are not in dispute. I mean, the the release of the transcript, which I think is an abridged transcript, of the call between the president of Ukraine and President Trump, which took place one day after the Mueller testimony. I mean, talk about a short memory of what could, or or actually uh, not not thinking that you need to color within the lines having been caught coloring outside them. Um, but the call took place, and and on its face, it doesn't say, I'm not going to give you your your $250 million in defensive aid to protect yourself from Russia until you give me dirt on Joe Biden and you tell me where this, you know, server is um, that that um, I believe has the 30,000, you know, emails on it. Um, and hold that thought about the 30,000 emails. He didn't say it quite that way. But if you're the 29-year-old newly elected president of the U- Ukraine and from Kiev, you can hear the, the heavy artillery fire in what is an active trench-type World War One, World War II style conflict between you and Russia on your eastern frontier, and they've already swallowed up Crimea and got away with it? Would you consider that to be a threat that if you don't come up with the goods, you're not going to get your defensive weapons? Remember, this guy was a comedian three months ago. He has as much experience in governing as did President Trump when he came into office. And President Trump had indeed been a CEO of a company. He knew how to lean on people. Uh, The term mobster has been applied to him. The facts are not in dispute. The aid that Congress had lawfully appropriated for Ukraine's defense was being held up, and the White House would not tell Congress why. They wouldn't, the Pentagon did not know why. Now we have the call, now we know why. You want more proof that there's a relationship between that call? And where we find ourselves today, the uh, inspector general notified Adam Schiff and um, Chairman Burr, Senator Burr, on September 9th, the, the day Congress came back, the day, by the way, in California, that's at Mission Day, an unnecessary fact, but true, um, that there was an urgent Um, and credible whistleblower complaint, but that he had been forbidden to forward it. On September 11th, the Ukraine's defensive funds were released. In addition, $141 million more from the State Department's discretionary funds were were, were being released intended for the Ukraine. If, If you... If you believe in cause and effect, you know, 
kick the ball, it, it, it's propelled into the air. Um, there is a relationship between that call and the release of those funds. And what we have to ask ourselves is, is that a crime? Did the president violate his oath of office? The two things are different. And we'll be back in just a moment to sort that out. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So, the question on the table, folks, is Did the president violate his oath of office? Did he commit a crime? Well, Unless obstruction of Congress, which is an article of impeachment that's been used before, um, holds water, I'm not sure that there is any crime here. Asking somebody for a favor, withholding funds, I don't know that there's a statute except maybe the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And let's all remember that I am not a lawyer. I'm a businesswoman. I, I, I'm not sure that there is a crime, but there is definitely a cynical violation of the president's oath of office to defend the country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Russia is our enemy. It's not a frenemy. It's an enemy. And, you know, making mischief around the world. Ukraine, Ukraine is doing everything it can do to become a Western-style democracy. It is a responsibility of the post-World War II era which the United States has led, that the great democracies of the world will do all they can to defend fledgling democracies against the encroachment um, of a Russia diminished but not without um, uh, a leader with czarist, uh, expansionist um, dreams and ideas and plans. So U.S. military aid, something that the late John McCain fought very hard for, is in the vital national interest of the United States of America to provide to this extremely important Eastern European country that is struggling mightily, struggling mightily to become a real Western-style democracy. And so the fact that we've in any way put their, their efforts at risk for personal political gain um, 
is is something of extreme concern. But again, is it is it impeachable? You know, so here I went back to Alexander Hamilton's Federalist Paper 65 that talks about the reasons for the structure of the impeachment, one, for impeachment as a ultimate remedy uh, against uh, the foibles of a potentially corrupt president and talks about high crimes and misdemeanors as being a a broad category um, as... Justice Potter said, uh, we'll know it when we see it. So the concept, though, if you go a little bit further and you go to the U.S. Constitution Center um, and read up about it, um, let's, let's go through a couple of things that are really important in, in breaking down for what the president could be impeached, Okay. Um, the Constitution defines treason in Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1. Treason is defined as treason against the United States shall constitute only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. So let's take that one off the table. The president is not guilty of treason. Yeah, we're not at war. No. I, I, that, that, that's a big pet peeve of mine, is people throw around this word treason and they don't even know what they're talking about. But like we're the, not at war with any of these com- countries. No, we're trying to prevent a larger war from breaking out. That's the whole point. So hold that thought again for a moment. The, con- the, the Constitution did not define bribery, which is the second reason upon which a president can be impeached, because it, it, it has a standard in English common law, which was and, and which became American common law. OK, so we know what bribery is. Um, it's an exchange of money for a favor. OK, it, in this case, it does not apply. I don't think at this moment. Let me make that caveat. But there is this wonderful thing called high crimes and misdemeanors. Nobody talks about it much. But if you go to the Constitution Center, the Constitution Center explains that the phrase goes back to about 1386 to the English Parliament. And and high crimes and misdemeanors are then defined as one of the grounds to impeach off officials of the crown. This comes from, you know, the Cromwell era, et cetera. Um, you know, interesting part of, of English, of this whole relationship we have with England is that while our president has become more imperial over the last couple hundred years, starting as early as the 14th century, the British people were trying to constrain the power of the crown. 
So a misdemeanor, if we take that definition, can be misappropriating government funds, supporting unfit subordinates, not prosecuting cases when you should, not spending money allocated by the parliament or, in this case, Congress, promoting themselves ahead of more deserving candidates, etc. I mean, there are tons and tons of these examples. So... <clears throat> Is it possible that the president kind of went over some of those misdemeanors? Yeah, but in the final analysis, the whistleblower did succeed in getting those funds released to defend the Ukraine. So I'm going to ask you again. Do we have enough? Is this in the is this in the course of the history of the republic enough? to overturn the political decision that the American people made in November 2016 to elect Donald Trump as president? No. The answer is no, definitively. I'm not sure definitively it's no, and here's the reason why. We do not yet know what we do not know. Oh, like Donald Rumsfeld's uh, known knowns and unknown knowns and unknown unknown knowns. No, by careful reading of the whistleblower's complaint where he says this is not the first instance. Two things are possible. Well, what if this is the worst instance? Then it's kind of a moot point. Yes. But what I'm worried about, Vince is what if it isn't? I think if there was something more egregious, that would have been leaked instead. I think this is the worst thing. Because they're, 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 they're grabbing, grasping at straws. The Mueller report was supposed to be a slam dunk, and that didn't work. There was actually, uh, last night on Saturday Night Live... There's a great sketch where they they did a parody on the Sunday morning talk shows and they had the commentators, you know, talking about, oh, we got him. This is a smoking gun. He's dead. He's done. And Kenan Thompson played a character who was like, ain't nothing going to happen. I tend to agree. I watched the same thing. I was going to end the, the show this morning by saying if you did not watch Saturday Night Live. There were three skits that were absolutely on point. One was the introduction in which um, Alex Baldwin did a miraculous job of pulling together all the chief offenders in this little drama. And uh, there was a, a skit about a Democratic debate on impeachment that was killer and then there was this little spiff on the commentators, which is something that, you know, I, I could have, I'm not, I, I don't write funny stuff, but I think it's completely 100% accurate. And that maybe some of the folks who come on the Sunday morning shows ought to watch it and then look in the mirror because they are very supercilious. And so when we get down to the end of this, you know, I've been talking for weeks about what worries me is precedent. English common law and American jurisprudence are based on precedent. That is the reason, by the way, to digress, to, you know, go out there on the Supreme Court limb 
Roe will never be overturned because too many other decisions use Roe as a precedent. And that's the way English common law works, and that's the way the American system works. And so what is at risk? What is at risk here is whether this president's behavior becomes a precedent for future presidential behavior or a footnote in history. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the decision that we need to make. That's the argument we need to have. That's the debate that Congress must have. Yes, indeed, the decision to impeach or not impeach will be political. And while we're talking about politics, we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the power play political Nancy Pelosi. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So I think we need to talk for just a moment about precedent and politics. You know, Nancy Pelosi was really, I mean, you, you, whether you agree with her or you disagree with her, you have to give her credit for managing this with incredible skill to hold back that caucus that from January the 3rd wanted to go for the impeachment. Forget the precedent. Forget the Constitution. We just want to get that going. And Nancy said, no. Nope. That's not what the American people sent us here to do. Nope. We don't have the goods. Nope, nope, nope. Now, in this particular case, Nancy has a real advantage over you and me. She knows what's in that redacted appendix to the whistleblower's complaint. She knows what the investigation showed. We don't know that. Ain't ain't nothing going to happen. I, I'm not... I'm not sure that nothing's going to happen. Remember, Paul Manafort thought nothing was going to happen, and Mike Flynn thought nothing was going to happen, and and on Friday afternoon— No, I mean, nothing's going to happen to Trump. Oh, I would agree with you there based on what we know today. What I want to know is, now that they're obviously trying to push through um, the impeachment inquiry— um. Do you think this is a good move by the Democrats? Because no, because the you know it's going to get shot down in the Senate. I and and I I think it's going to end up hurting them. Isn't this going to like actually help Trump be reelected? I think that's why I'm wondering what Nancy knows that we don't know. Okay, because if I read the tea leaves on only on the pieces of paper that are in front of me. I say that this does make the Democrats, you know, the the situation easier for Trump. Guess what? Trump wanted to dirty up Joe Biden. He saw Joe Biden as the guy who would 
almost certainly beat him. And you know what he succeeded in doing? He dirtied up Joe Biden. So whatever happens from now on, Joe Biden's got this Ukraine problem. Now, the facts are in Joe Biden's corner that he was sent to the Ukraine to get, you know, to to work with the Ukrainian government to get rid of this very corrupt um, prosecutor on the behest of the entirety of NATO. That's a that's a fact that that Hunter Biden went to the State Department for approval before he took the job on the Bursama board and that it was after the removal of the corrupt person. Um, All those are facts, but it doesn't matter. I think Joe Biden's run third run for the Democratic nomination for the presidency is effectively over. And welcome to the world of Elizabeth Warren. And, and in, and, and and in by, a general by, by election, virtue, by virtue of that fact, I think that makes Trump a shoe in because I think that uh, Elizabeth Warren is his ideal uh, opponent. I can't I can't say that I disagree with you um, about that conclusion. I think I think uh, one, she's quite it won't be that hard to dirty her up. Two, Wall Street has already made it very clear that they will go to whatever lengths necessary to prevent her from becoming president. Uh, Remember that she couldn't even get through the Senate to be the head of the Consumer Protection Agency. She has a lot of enemies in Washington. But the Republicans have an obligation. And people who listen to this program, whether you listen on Salem Radio, on Ricochet, We've got an obligation, and that is to say, we want a primary. We want a strong national security nominee. That's what this party has always been about. National security, fiscal security, and opportunity and initiative and ingenuity. And this White House is not giving us these. Let me give you, in the closing moments that we have, two more reasons why we need an open primary. We Republicans need to be ready to face the 21st century head on with a nominee who can lift us up. So let me give you two last little bits that you might have missed because they didn't hit the news till late Friday night. Kurt Volker resigned as the unpaid Trump administration ambassador on to help Ukraine and Russia figure this out. Ooh, well, this is a reputable, known former ambassador to NATO, really reputable um, foreign service professional, except for a little problem. It turns out the reason he took this unpaid job with the Trump administration is he's a lobbyist. He's also the executive director of the McCain Institute. Ooh, cover yourself in glory. His wife is an executive with Radio Free Europe. But you know who who pays the bills? Raytheon. Raytheon is the principal sponsor of the McCain Institute. Raytheon is the principal client um, for Volker's firm. And Raytheon makes the Javelin missile system talk about self-dealing. He resigned on Friday. And on Friday, we found out that nigh these two and a half years, the State Department has been going through every single Clinton administration 
uh, Clinton Secretary of State period email and reclassifying stuff and then penalizing civil servants who passed information forward to the Secretary of State as they should have, telling them that they're not personally culpable, but they've passed classified information in unsecure, through unsecured means, insecure means. Ten years after the fact, they're damaging the possibility of security clearance renewals for career civil servants in the State Department. Now, tell me that they're not doing that as an act of retribution and to instill fear in the civil service. So the failure to drain the swamp, in fact, making the swamp deeper, and the, the intimidation of career civil service employees for political reasons are, in my view, enough to say we need to consider we need to consider whether Trump should be the standard bearer for the GOP in 2020. And on that note, we're going to take a commercial break and I'll be back with a couple of closing thoughts. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So, I think ladies and gentlemen, we are at a juncture. What's been exposed is that the president will use anything without reservation that that protects his personal um, or supports his personal interests, regardless of whether those are the interests of the country at large. And that very fact, that's, that's a political judgment. That's not a crime. I don't see that as a misdemeanor. But I do think it's an important political question. And because you're listening to me, you are a conservative. So you've got to think about whether or not you want this precedent to go forward for another four years. Because someday there will be a Democrat in the White House. Do you want this precedent to stand on the chance that Elizabeth Warren could be elected president. I don't think so. But then a whole lot of us didn't think Donald Trump could be elected president either. So I'm urging you to think beyond the protection of this particular individual and to think about the larger goals of both the conservative movement and above all else, before any other considerations, the United States of America the flag, and the republic for which it stands. And next week, we'll be back with whatever the developments are. In the meantime, as I always say, I know what interests me. But you know what? It's really more important what interests you. So... If you've got questions, if you've got topics, and I'm hoping we can get back to real 
topics that have solutions, we I'd, I'd love to hear from you. And you can always find me at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org. I don't always get to respond to every email I get, but I do try. Or reach out to me at, at reimagine-america on Facebook or Joyce Cordy, all small letters, all one word, on Twitter or Reimagine America Radio Hour, which is also on Twitter. Uh, that handle is actually Reimagine Radio. But if you search Reimagine America Radio Hour, you'll you'll find it too. And now you know who really manages that account. But I do manage the Joyce Cordy account. Reimagine America is independent and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. If you're looking for a speaker, if you're looking for a speaker, give me a, you know, you can contact me via the website. And in the, you know, we will look forward to this week, hoping no more shoes drop. But in the meantime, have a wonderful Sunday and a great week. And God bless America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.